Hello, everybody. Ashley here again. Um, first of all, I just want to say thank you to everybody that is listening to the podcast. I, I honestly, I did not expect uh, this many people to be listening and to be reaching out and saying that they're listening and telling me. It, it really means a lot, guys. I just want you to know. Um, so if you're listening, thank you. I love you. You guys are awesome. And having this support really does mean the world to me. Um, before having this outlet and before realizing that this was a good outlet, I, you know, obviously I have Kevin to talk to, but I can only tell him the same feelings over and over again, you know, before he just kind of gets it, you know, and that's, that's obviously not his fault. We're, we're best friends aside from the fact that we're engaged and trying to have a baby. He is my best friend and we do everything together. We talk about everything together you know, we're always hanging out. We never get tired of being around one another, but I'm sure that he gets kind of tired of listening to me ramble on and on about my frustrations. So it's really, really nice that I have you guys, um, to listen to me and to reach out and say, Hey, you know, I feel it, or I've been there, or I support you. And I hope that this thing works out for you because it, it does, it, it makes, it makes a world's difference. It's incredible. I feel so much more confident now that since my podcast went out like 24 hours ago and it just it's an amazing feeling guys so just thank you so much for the listening and the support um please keep listening especially if you want updates because I'm going to use this podcast to give you updates on the journey and everything that I'm doing and everything that works and everything that doesn't work because I'm hoping my ultimate goal with this podcast is that maybe I can reach somebody that really needs to hear these words of encouragement and that really needs to feel this support because I know what it's like to feel like you're in the dark with your infertility and it it's it's hard it it really is it is very hard to deal with especially if you're dealing with it alone because if you feel like you're alone you're like man nobody understands what I'm going through you know nobody can relate to what I'm feeling and no I relate I know what you're going through I can feel what you're feeling And I am always here for anybody that needs an ear to listen to. I am here and I will listen. I will give you advice if that's what you want. Or I'll just sit and listen to you talk. I love to listen to other people talk. I am a very good listener. So, again, thank you guys for listening. It means a lot to me. But the real reason I started this recording, this would be the beginning of episode two, um, hopefully coming out this weekend. It is currently, as I'm recording, uh, Tuesday, March 17th at 521 in the in the evening. Uh, I just got off work. I left early because we had so few kids. They couldn't justify having so many staff members. So I volunteered to go home early because I'm tired <laughs> and, you know, ready to just relax and be done with my evening. And unfortunately, I found out that they canceled my CDA classes until April 3rd, you know, that window that they're giving everybody right now. Um, So hopefully I can get some extra schoolwork done just in the time that I'm going to be off because it's going to put us behind by three weeks, which is really, really quite a bummer. But I'm going to get through it and I've got you guys to help me get through it. So the real reason I started this recording is to kind of just talk about my background with PCOS And all of the problems that I had leading up to this. Because if I had known, you know, when I was 11 years old, when I got my first period, that I would be suffering, uh, you know, nine years down the road at age 20, trying to get pregnant, 
I, I would have said something to a doctor, you know, if I had known that these things were happening, I'm sure that we could have intervened, intervened a lot sooner. Um, so basically, uh, I was 11 years old when I got my first period and that's when the hell started. And I do mean literal hell. Like you can talk to my parents. There were times that I had to miss school because my periods were so painful. My cramps were so bad that I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed. I stayed curled up in the fetal position for hours, living off of M&Ms and Pepsi, thanks mom, and my heating pad, because that was the only thing that would get me through. Um, A little background on the M&Ms and Pepsi thing. Um, If you have period cramps and my doll doesn't work for your period cramps, I swear to you, if you drink any sort of dark cola and eat chocolate, it really does help. It does help ease those cramps. I don't know if it's the caffeine it's in the soda or if it's just the, the sugar that's in the chocolate. I don't know the whole combination, the whole reason it works, but it works. And I promise you, if you try it, you will thank me. Just think about that the next time you're at the store and you're buying Midol. It's cheaper to buy a bottle of Pepsi and a bag of M&Ms than it is to buy some Midol. But um, that's beside the point. Anyhow... So from a very young age, my periods were very, very unmanageable. They were really, really heavy. They were extremely painful. I started passing blood clots. I think I was about 14. My periods when I was 14 years old is when I started getting blood clots. And when you're 14 and first of all, there's blood coming out of you. That's no fun. Nobody enjoys having their period. Nobody wants it, you know, but it's there. Everybody's got to deal with it. Every woman or anybody that was born with a uterus and vagina who may not be, who may not identify as a woman, they still have to deal with it. And it sucks. And unfortunately, half the population doesn't quite understand how much it sucks. Um, so yeah, just remember, if somebody's complaining about their period, they have a right to complain because it sucks. Nobody wants it. It's a terrible, terrible time. But when you're 14 years old, And you're passing blood clots the size of quarters and then the size of like a half dollar all the way up to the size of a baseball. You get a little scared, especially because passing those blood clots is not fun. It's very painful. Um, Also, if if this podcast makes anybody uncomfortable, I'm sorry, but this is real life. This is the things that I really dealt with. Um, If you can't handle it, you don't got to listen. But if you can't handle it, I thank you for listening. So I talked to many doctors over the course of my adolescence. And of course, none of the doctors that you speak to when you're under the age of 18 will do any sort of internal exam because they feel that it's, it's too traumatizing, which makes complete sense. You know, it's totally ethical for them to do that. But the time that I disagree is in cases like mine. I was, I believe I was 15 when I was put on the, when they inserted the next plan on implant in my arm. Um, not a sponsor. And I'll tell you why in just a minute, but the next plan on was the most effective birth control method at the time. It was just a little implant, the size of a, of a matchstick, about the size of a matchstick that went into your upper arm. Um, upper inner arm, I should be specific. And it was like 99.9% effective at preventing 
ovulation and 99.9% effective at preventing pregnancy if you did ovulate while still on the medication. And it worked for up to three years. So I got that because I was at an age where I was starting to kind of become sexually active. Not really, but you know, once you get to a certain age and puberty and your hormones and all that stuff starts raging, you start thinking about sex and it's normal. Um, my mom tried her very best (laughs) to make it normal for me and to make me feel comfortable. Um, but regardless, it's, it's hard to talk about that kind of stuff with your parents. I don't know any, I don't know of anybody that can comfortably talk about sex with their parents. Um, it's a little bit different for me now, now that I'm older, but that's another story altogether. And so mom knew I was at an age where I was thinking about sex and I wasn't responsible enough to take the pill every single day. And I was a very, very busy high school student. I was in many, many, many extracurricular activities, marching band, pet band, concert band, that stuff all takes up your entire year. Um, quiz bowl, archery club, book club, you know, you name it. I was in it. I, I enjoyed participating in high school for the most part up until a certain point. So I was a very, very busy kid. So I couldn't rely on myself or my schedule to take a pill at the exact same time every single day. So we decided that the next plan on was a good, would be a good fit for me. So we got that inserted. It only took about, it only took a few minutes to put it in my arm. I did not watch because I did not want to watch her cut my arm open and shove that thing in there. Not a fun time. But from then on, for about the first, I want to say the first year, everything was very smooth sailing. I had no period at all, which was a common symptom for a lot of girls that used it. No period at all. And for me, that was a, that was a, a godsend. Because my periods were so bad and so painful that not having them was so much better than going through it every month. Sometimes only every three months. Because even at that point, my periods were extremely irregular. And it didn't click. It, It didn't click for us to say, hmm, something's wrong here. So I had no period for the first year. Maybe the first year in like three months. But then things got really, really bad with the next plan on, I became, I already have a diagnosed anxiety disorder and diagnosed depression. And I knew that already. I was already in counseling before we started the birth control. You know, I was already on starting medications and doing all of that. And I'm not ashamed to admit that I was on anxiety medications and antidepressants for a little while because they helped me, but things were getting so much worse And the more research that my mom did, she was convinced that it was the next plan on that was causing it because it was, it had, some people had been stating that their side effects were being very, very depressed and even suicidal, which unfortunately at 15, I was, you know, and that, that's embarrassing for me to admit, but I feel like this podcast is a safe space And the people listening are safe people and I feel comfortable enough to open up about it so that I can be totally transparent with you guys. So my mom did her research and finally about like a year and six months into having this thing, you know, about halfway through of having it, I was like, mom, we got to do something. 
this is this is getting so bad because at this point my periods started again and they wouldn't go away I had bled for an entire month straight full 30 days before my period stopped so I you know I told my mom this because while it was happening it was very painful just like before everything was awful and oh god it's terrible for to to be 14 years old 15 years old and bleeding for 30 days straight it's not a fun time not a fun time at all so mom took me back to my doctor who shall remain nameless because I don't want to badmouth any doctors on my feed um but I hated that woman I will be totally honest with you guys that woman was an idiot and should not be practicing medicine anymore. She is too old-fashioned, too stuck in her ways, and doesn't listen to her patients. So my mom basically had to argue with this doctor because she was refusing to take it out. Because one, my three years wasn't up yet. Two, she felt like my irregular periods could be manageable if we added the birth control pill just to regulate my periods. But my, what my mom tried to explain to her is, like, I don't want to pump my daughter full of more drugs. Well, you know, at this point, I was already taking anti-anxiety medication. My mom didn't want to pump more, more chemicals into my body than, than we really needed to. But finally, the doctor argued with my mom so much that my mom agreed, you know, we'll try the pill for a little bit just to regulate her periods on top of the next plan on, and we'll see where it goes from there. Didn't get any better. It did, the pill did help regulate me a little bit, but the periods that I was getting were still very painful and just excruciating and terrible. So I told mom this, I was like, mom, it's, I've had this thing for almost two years now. We got to take it out. I can't stand it anymore. I can't stand the way that it makes me feel. I can't stand taking these pills all the time. I will do something different, something better than this for birth control but this I can't do it anymore so mom took me back to the doctor and with much arguing with the doctor she finally agreed to take it out um very easy to get it taken out luckily so they just popped that thing right out as quickly as they could and then she introduced me to the Nuva Ring wonderful wonderful birth control I recommend it for everybody it's literally just a little like silicone ring that you put inside your vagina it sits against your cervix and it's amazing it works really really well um it made my periods a lot lighter and a lot more manageable and a lot easier to deal with and it was definitely something I would recommend to other people um and it's really not that weird Everybody that I've talked to about it is like, but how do you get the ring back out? And yeah, you're just going to stick your finger up there and you're going to take it out. And it's weird at first, but you get used to it. Um, then it becomes not so weird anymore. Obviously, wash your hands. You know, if you're going to be touching your privates, wash your damn hands. Just wash your hands anyway. You know, we got the coronavirus going on right now. Wash your damn hands. That was a side note. Not really needed, but I said it anyways. So we did the NuvaRing and that was much better for me. But then I started getting cysts on my ovaries. This was never confirmed by a doctor. However, my mother also suffers from PCOS. And she has suffered from cysts before. Because with PCOS, 
the most common symptom is what? Cysts on the ovaries. So my mom has dealt with cysts before. I was at marching band practice. And we practiced outside because, you know, you can't, you can't march inside. It doesn't work. We were practicing outside, and I was in uh, flag corps at this point in time. So I'm just minding my own business, spinning my flag, you know, waiting for the next thing to happen, when all of a sudden I get the most excruciating pain on one side of my uterus and collapse to the ground because it was so painful and I, I couldn't stand I, I think I remember like yelling out and one of the other band members, she carried me inside. She gave me some Tylenol and some ibuprofen to try to help me feel better. And when my mom picked me up, I told her what happened. And I was like, I don't know what happened, mom, but it, it hurt so bad. And she's like, it, she asked me, she said it was just on one side. Right. And I said, yeah. She said, well, it's either your appendix or you had a cyst rupture. She said, but if it was your appendix, you would still be in pain. And at this point, the pain had finally subsided. It took a while, but it finally subsided. But boy, let me tell you, it felt like I had gotten shot. And I've never been shot before, but I imagine that's something like what it feels like. So when mom explained to me that it could be a cyst rupturing, I thought, okay, well, we should probably go tell my doctor, Right. So we had tried to discuss this with my doctor at the time, and she refused to do any tests, to do an ultrasound, to do anything, any sort of exam. And my mom's like, but my daughter is suffering, and I need you to help my daughter. Because honestly, at 15, 16 years old, I might have already started developing PCOS. But we don't know that for sure, because my doctors wouldn't listen to my mom. My doctors wouldn't listen to me, you know, and like, obviously my mother knew what she was talking about. My mom has known for many years now that this is what I've been dealing with before a doctor even confirmed it because my mom, my mom goes through it and she's gone through it for many, many years. Um, we'll talk more about my mom in just a little bit, but eventually I got old enough to where I wasn't allowed to be on my mom's insurance anymore, so I had to get my own. Um, Had insurance through a job that I used to have here in Lancaster, um, and went to see a doctor over in Circleville, who will also remain nameless, because he lost my respect when he talked to me the way that he did. So, basically, I went to discuss with this doctor my chances of conception, what were, what are my chances of being able to conceive? So he did do an internal ultrasound and did say, oh, you know, you've got a couple of cysts on your ovaries, nothing too serious, nothing we need to worry about. And I had explained to him, I said, you know, my mom suffers from polycystic ovarian syndrome. And I was wondering if you would go ahead and do some of the tests on me to make sure that I don't have it so I can rule, go ahead and rule that out. He literally, and I do mean literally, looked me up and down and said, you're not overweight, so you're not a prime candidate for PCOS. At this point, I had already done my research. I had already looked up all of the different symptoms that you get with PCOS. And how many of them did I have? Hmm, every single one. Every single symptom. I had it other than being overweight. 
So if somebody tells you that you can't have PCOS because you're not overweight, they are wrong. Because us skinny girls get it too. You know, obviously it is something that affects overweight women more often and more commonly. But there are still some of us who suffer from it who aren't overweight. So I eventually left that doctor because I didn't feel that he was fulfilling my needs as a patient. I didn't feel that he truly respected me because I was 19 when I saw him and he thought it was inappropriate. He even told me, I think it's inappropriate for you to be worried about your chances of conception at this age. I don't need a doctor to tell me what is and isn't appropriate for my life. And that was another reason why I could not respect him enough to continue to be his patient. So I eventually decided not to continue care with that doctor. I never filed any complaints because he did come to me very highly recommended. A woman that I had worked with at the time absolutely adored him. He delivered her children. And so I thought, okay, great. You know, everybody that's talked about him has said really, really awesome things. But when I went to see him, he just was not the doctor for me. Not to say that he's not a good doctor, but just to say that he definitely didn't take me seriously because of my age. And that, I feel, is unethical for a doctor. But, like I, like I said, I'm not a doctor. I can't attest to what he learned in medical school, so I will just leave that as it is. So, at 20 years old, which is current, you know, this year, actually back in October of last year, I started seeing my new doctor. Her name is Dr. Emily Burnett here in Lancaster. Um, Highly, highly recommend that woman. She is incredible. Amazing, amazing doctor, and I adore her. She is wonderful. I want everybody to be her patient because I think she's so great. But when I saw Dr. Burnett for the first time and I told her about um, the other doctor that I had seen in Circleville and told her what had happened, she was even very disappointed because he delivered her children as well. And she was disappointed because she didn't expect that of him. I explained to her why I felt that he had kind of brushed me off and she's like, well, I can understand why he would have done that. But it's still not a good thing for him to have done. He should have just done the test and we, you would have known already. So Dr. Burnett, she did the tests because I, like I had stated before in my previous podcast, with PCOS, you have to rule out a lot of things. Like, um, is it a brain tumor? Oh, nope, not a brain tumor, not a thyroid issue, not cancer, not this, that, and whatever, they have to rule out so many things before they can tell you, okay, you have PCOS. And I, I believe I had told you guys this story, but I'll tell it again. When I did my first internal ultrasound with the ultrasound technician, I was just looking at the screen. Of course, I have no idea what I'm looking at because I don't understand what the inside of a uterus looks like when it's on an ultrasound. I don't get it. I don't know what I'm looking at. But as I'm looking at it, there are all these little circles everywhere. And I'm like, what What are those circles? And she's like, we'll just have the doctor discuss that with you. And as, when I got back into the exam room with the doctor, 
Um, Dr. Burnett said, yep, it looks like you've got multiple cysts. She said the ultrasound technician even said, even pointed them out and said multiple cysts, possible PCOS. She said, so we can go ahead and confirm that you do have PCOS and we can move on from here and see what you want to do for your next steps. But when she showed me that ultrasound picture and she pointed out all those little dots and told me that those were cysts on my ovaries, pardon my French, but I almost shit my pants because I've never seen that many cysts before. When I did my previous internal ultrasound with the male doctor in Circleville, there were only maybe three or four, but on this ultrasound, I'm not even kidding, there were like eight to 12 on each side, and that's, it's, it makes me speechless, obviously, to even think about it, because that's just a lot, and it makes a lot of sense why my ovaries weren't working, because there were so many cysts just kind of clogging them up, there was no, there was nothing for them to do. Um, so she decided to let me know, she's like, okay, there's a few other, there's a few things we can do. She said, but my first question is, do you want children? And I said, oh, yes, that, that is why I, I wanted to figure this out. I want children more than anything in this world. I said, I am in the best relationship that I've ever been in. I am finally with my person, my soulmate, the person that I am going to spend the rest of my life with. And I want nothing more than to give him children and to have a family with him. Because I know that Kevin's going to be an amazing father and we're going to make a really great parenting team. And I, I want to give that to him because that's something that he wants as much as I do. And so when I told her that, she said, okay, then I think it would be wise for you to go ahead and start trying for a baby now. She said, because your PCOS is so far along that your chances may dwindle the longer we wait. And I was like, all right, what do I need to do in order to be at my healthiest and to do my best to try to conceive. And she, at this point in time, I was still smoking cigarettes. So she said, well, first I need you to quit smoking. And I was like, done. Easy. Quit the, quit the very same day. I had a cigar, a black and mild cigar in my car. And got in my car and smoked the rest of it. And that was it. I haven't picked up a cigarette or a cigar since. And it's been over six months now. Um, and I didn't have any withdrawal symptoms, so I'm sorry for those of you that do get nicotine withdrawal. I don't understand what that feels like. It was very easy for me to quit smoking, and I know that it is hard for some people. And it's actually more hard for a lot of people. So that was the first thing I did, is I quit smoking. Um, and then the next thing we did was start to met, to start the metformin. So the way that the metformin works is sometimes PCOS is caused by an insulin resistance problem. So they give you metformin, which is a which is a medication for patients with diabetes. They give that to you to help with your insulin resistance problem. And basically it helps your body create more of its natural insulin the way that it's supposed to. And oftentimes with patients who have PCOS, that helps to regulate their periods. And that was my case. That was my case, the case for me. Um, and some PCOS patients even are able to get pregnant again on metformin because it helped regulate them so much that they begin to ovulate again. Unfortunately, not the case for me, but we'll get to that in a minute. So I started the metformin and the way that she had me start it, it was 
the pills are 500 milligrams a piece. She had me taking one in the morning and one in the evening for the first two weeks. Um, and she explained the science behind doing it that way. It's just to kind of get your body used to the medicine because they don't want to give you too much all at once. And then it just doesn't help if that makes sense. It just doesn't help if you do too much all at the same time. So I did that for the full, for the first two weeks. And then she wanted me to up it to two pills in the morning, two pills in the evening, uh, every day. And that's what I've been on for the last six months, give or take a week or sorry, give or take two weeks. So I started that. So I do take uh, 2000 milligrams a day of metformin. I still continue to take the metformin. Um, I've missed maybe a couple of doses here and there, but luckily my doses are so far apart because I do, I take one dose at about 8 a.m. and then the other dose I take about 8 p.m. So I have plenty of time in between there. So if I don't remember my morning pills until like 10 or like noonish, I can take them and I'm okay. Um, it's not like birth control, you know, you don't have to take it at the same day, same time every day for it to be more effective. It just works. So even if I was a few hours late taking it, it was no big deal. I could just take it and then maybe just wait an extra 30 minutes before I took my evening dose. Bing, bam, boom, done. Taken care of. So luckily the metformin regulated my periods. And that medication is a godsend for me as well because I... I was at another point where my periods were very irregular, they were very sporadic, very painful, all the blood clots and the cramping, and just miserable, absolutely miserable. So the metformin helped with that a lot. The periods became lighter, they became regular, I stopped having blood clots, they became shorter. I went from seven day periods to sometimes only five or six days at the most. I've never gone past six days now. Now that I'm on the metformin, my periods only last six days at the most. And usually that last day is mostly just spotting. So it's not anything to even really consider a period. But when you're still bleeding, they have to consider it still your period. So been on the metformin for six months. And I love it. It helps me a lot. I lost weight, which I mean, I didn't really need to lose weight. But I lost weight on the metformin. It helped me eat a little bit better. Um, it was helping me sleep better when I did have my periods because before with my periods being so painful, I was losing sleep as well because you can't sleep if your uterus feels like it's on fire. So the metformin was amazing. Unfortunately though, even on the metformin, my cycles were still 40 days long. So from the beginning of your cycle to the end of your cycle is the beginning of your cycle is when you get your, the first day of your period. The end of your cycle is the day before you get your next period. So, of course, you don't know how long your cycle is until you get your next period. But from the very first cycle, it was 40 days from one period to the next. Next cycle, same thing, 40 days. Next cycle, same thing, 40 days. And so, we had, my we as in my doctor and I, had concluded that my cycles were still anovulatory because typically regular cycles are from 28 to 32, maybe 34 days, depending on the person. And those cycles are ovulatory. So they, those women ovulate during those cycles. 
when your cycle days exceed, if they go 40 or more, you're most likely just not ovulating. Because let's be real. If you understand periods, you understand that over the course of your cycle, your uterine lining builds up in preparation for an egg to be fertilized and to attach to the uterine wall. If your eggs aren't dropping to be fertilized and then dying to signal, okay, time for your period, then of course your cycles are going to be a little bit longer because your body's just building up that uterine lining more because there's no egg that is falling down in order to be fertilized or to die and get shed with the period blood, with the uterine lining. So we had concluded I was anovulatory, and that's when she recommended the Clomid. When I was at the doctor, I was already three days late for my period. So of course, for me, anytime my period is late, I get my hopes up. because so I think, oh, there's a baby. I'm going to have a baby. I'm, I might be pregnant. This is going to be great. So, of course, I misread every single symptom as a pregnancy symptom. If I have light cramping one day, I'm like, ooh, I wonder if that's implantation cramping. Or if I'm not able to sleep. I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I'm, I have insomnia because I have early pregnancy symptoms. Or if I have an increase in appetite, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if I'm eating for two now and that's why I'm so hungry. Any of those things you know, sore breasts, all of that stuff, things that happen as PMS symptoms as well, I was confusing for pregnancy symptoms because I had my hopes up so high and I wanted a baby so badly that I was convincing myself that I was pregnant. So every time my period was late and I would take a pregnancy test and it was stark negative, I was heartbroken. Like literally sitting on the bathroom floor crying my eyes out, heartbroken. And Kevin has been amazing in those moments. He will sit on the floor with me and just let me cry and let me bitch and complain about how unfair it is. And he just listens and he does a really great job of it. So if you're listening, baby, thank you. I love you. But it, it's heartbreaking when you're trying to get pregnant and then your period is late and it just doesn't, and it just doesn't show up. When you want so badly for those two little pink lines to pop up on that test and you only see one and you sit and you stare at that test for the full 10 minutes and just beg for it to change, beg for another line to to appear and it doesn't and then your heart sinks and it hits your stomach and then you cry and it's painful and depressing and you just want to crawl in your bed and you don't want to leave. And that's how I was feeling. You know, it's... God, it's so hard. But we started the Clomid. I was eventually... I continued to take pregnancy tests at my doctor's recommendation. She said, don't expect it to be positive. She said, I think that your period is just late this time around. So we're just going to believe that it's just late and that it's coming. But I want you to continue to take pregnancy tests every few days just to make sure She said, because if you do end up pregnant, yay, everything's great. She said, but if you don't and you still don't get your period, I will give you a medicine to help induce your period. She said, but we don't want to do that in case you're pregnant because that's a miscarriage and that's the opposite of what we want. So obviously her and I agreed on that part. So 
So luckily I did eventually start after being 10 days late and had contacted my doctor to let her know that I started. And on cycle day three, which was the third day of my period, is when we started the Clomid. And I'll tell you what, the Clomid is awful. (laughs) The side effects of the Clomid are really, really terrible for me personally. And I am now, my last dose was on Sunday, it's Tuesday now, and I'm still experiencing the hot flashes and the insomnia. Luckily for me, the dizziness has kind of gone down a little bit because I've been taking motion sickness medicine uh, to kind of help me out. Uh, It's the generic for Dramamine, if anybody's familiar with it. Um, It helps me a lot with the dizziness. It kind of helps me to be able to walk, (laughs) you know, in a straight line and not look like I'm totally wasted out of my mind, even though I'm not. It's just the Clomid that makes me dizzy. So I, I took all five days of that finish that on Sunday. I still am dealing with the hot flashes and the insomnia, but that's much more manageable than the dizziness and the mood swings. God, those mood swings. Kevin could not keep up with me. I swear I was going to give that boy whiplash because one minute I am just grumpy and I'm in a bad mood and the next minute I am the most loving, cuddly person on the planet and it's it's sickening, honestly. It was disgusting because I could tell you know, when my moods were swinging like that, I could feel it, but I, there was nothing I could do to make it stop. There was nothing I could do to control it. And I'm like, man, I feel like a crazy person because I know that I'm having these mood swings and then I'm going crazy, but damn, I can't do anything about it. So Kevin luckily helped me out with that. And he would kind of let me know like, Hey, Ashley, you're, you're kind of being mean to me right now. And I know it's not your fault. I know that it's the Clomid, but I just wanted to let you know, he's been almost kind of walking on eggshells with me, but luckily the mood swings have surpassed. Thank God, because I, I'm sure that Kevin was about ready to call off the engagement if I had one more mood swing because we do spend all of our time together. So he has to deal with it a lot. And speaking of which, I'm sitting at his station right now and I see him coming out the door. So I'm going to stop the recording here. And when I pick it back up, I'm going to talk a little bit about my mom and what she's been going through. So I will continue recording this later. All right, picking it back up for episode two. Um, Sorry if you can't hear me very well. I'm just getting ready for work and I'm making my coffee and things for the morning. Um, It's uh, 11.38 on a Thursday, Thursday the 19th to be exact. Um, I just checked my Anchor account this morning and saw that my first episode has a whopping 32 listeners. And wow, that, oh my god. (laughs) So like, thank you guys. That is so amazing and it means so much to me that you guys are listening thank you you know keep sharing the podcast with other people um keep listening it really does mean a lot to me so thank you guys so much um but when I stopped the first segment I had mentioned that I was going to talk a little bit more about my mom and what my mom's gone through um basically my mom is well she'd tell you she's 29 but she just turned uh 41 this year and when my was when I was a kid and my parents were still married they tried for a really 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 long time to have a second child 
Um, because after my mother had me, she developed, you'll never guess, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it is possible that a lot of studies kind of contradict where they believe PCOS comes from. But many, many studies are starting to agree that it could be hereditary, which could explain why I developed it as well, even though I wasn't what my previous doctor had called a prime candidate for PCOS. So it could very well be the fact that my mother had it and therefore she passed it on to me. Um, that could be the possibility. We don't really know for sure. Um, it's interesting though because something I had mentioned to my mom uh, months back. Uh, my mom has an older sister and there's about six or seven years in between her and my Aunt Tiffany. And I mentioned to my mom, like, what if the reason why there's so many years in between you and Tiffany is because grandma had PCOS and didn't know it because back then that wasn't really, it wasn't a thing. PCOS has recently just kind of come into light in the medical field more because not a lot of people knew about it. Not a lot of people knew whether or not they had it. And it kind of... Basically, it was, like, discovered. It's almost like it's a new thing. And so every year, they're coming up with new ideas and new treatments for PCOS. And they're able to find out more information because they're finding more and more women who have it. So they're able to do more and more studies and get more and more information. So I had mentioned that to my mom. And she was like, you know, that that does seem like a reason, the good reason for there to be so many years in between the two of us, she said, it does make sense. She said, but your grandma never would have known that because it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't a thing. Like that just didn't, that just didn't happen back then. You know, there weren't, and if there were issues with infertility back then, they really didn't have a whole lot of information about it and didn't really know much. Um, so sorry, I'm like putting my socks and shoes on so I can be ready for the day. Um, so mom and I had discussed that at great length for a while, but like I said before, my mom knew what was going on with me, like in high school. She knew that I was going to develop PCOS because of all of my really bad periods and the other symptoms that I was have- having, and she knew that it was, it was going to happen. She just knew. She knew it in her gut that this was going to be a thing. And unfortunately, like for my mom, things are a lot worse for my mom. Her PCOS is pretty bad. Um, It's a little more manageable for her now because she was able to get what's called an ablation, which is basically they stick a balloon inside of your uterus to and then fill it with like boiling hot water to burn off your uterine lining so you don't have a period. And she may have to do that like a few times over the course of a few years um, until she eventually reaches the point that every woman reaches, which is menopause, and just her periods just stop on their own. Um, But because she's only had one child, many doctors, because some of you might be thinking, well, why doesn't she just get a hysterectomy? Or why doesn't she just get her tubes tied or any of that stuff? 
And my mom's not worried about, you know, preventing pregnancy or anything like that. She knows she's done having children. She knows she's not able to have any more children. But unfortunately, in the state of Ohio, I would say probably nine out of ten doctors, if not ten out of ten doctors, will not let a woman get a hysterectomy, one, without her husband's consent as well, which for my mom is not a problem. My mom is a single unmarried woman. I mean, she's in a relationship, but she's not married. So she wouldn't need a a man's signature on that, which that kind of irks me. But that's a, that's a topic for another podcast episode. Um, and she has to have had at least two children, which she has not. She has only had me. So every doctor my mom has tried to go to has refused just outright refused to do the hysterectomy for her, which is really, really unfortunate because my mom suffers really badly. You know, she's got the blood clots, the painful periods, the irregular periods, um, some other things that happen with PCOS that I haven't talked about yet. Unwanted facial growth, unwanted hair growth, um, higher levels of testosterone in the body, which is sometimes part of the reason why Eggs are unable to be fertilized in the in the uterus and attach for pregnancy. Um, and honestly, a lot of other things come with PCOS. Anxiety, depression, um, not necessarily caused directly from the disease, but as a result of having the disease. So my mom, just like me, has suffered from anxiety pretty much her whole life and suffers from it every day. Um, we obviously have different, like, different forms of anxiety because not everybody's anxiety is the same. Everybody is different. Everybody handles stress differently, regardless of what type of stress that may or may not be. Um, but my mom, we talked the other night, and I believe she told me she was on Clomid for, I don't know how many years she said she was on Clomid, but I do know that they tried for another baby for about 12 years. And nothing happened. And I don't care what anybody says. 12 years is a really, really long time to try to get pregnant and just continue to be disappointed. You know, so my mom always tells me that I'm her, you know, I'm her miracle. I, I should not exist if my mom had PCOS at 21 years old when she got pregnant with me. I should not have existed. But I do. For whatever wonderful reason I do. I exist. I'm here. I am alive. I am well. And I am my mom's miracle child. Um, and of course, uh, the other thing that happens with PCOS when trying to get pregnant is your chances of having a miscarriage are a lot higher. So I'm, I'm sure that my mom, even though she may not talk about it, I'm sure that my mom has been through a few miscarriages if not several um because that's just it's a thing with women with PCOS we are at a higher risk for miscarriage it doesn't matter how much you take care of yourself doesn't matter how much you exercise it is basically just because your body is against you and your chances of getting pregnant are so low anyway that your chances of of miscarriage are a lot higher Um, obviously that sucks. I hate hearing those statistics because it scares me, you know? Even though I have said in this podcast a few times 
that I am feeling hopeful because I am, I am feeling hopeful. I'm also really scared because in all reality, I could get pregnant this very cycle, this cycle that we are currently on. Today is day 11 of my cycle and I could very well get pregnant this cycle, but that doesn't mean that that pregnancy is going to stick. And that's, that's really what scares me is the fact that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we still may have to go through miscarriage. And it's honestly one of the things that I am most expecting to happen. And I know I shouldn't expect something so negative and so heartbreaking, but you kind of have to pick and choose your battles here. Like, I can either, I could be really, really optimistic and say that I am going to get pregnant this cycle and that it is going to stick. But then if that, if one of those things is to happen, like if I do get pregnant, but then it doesn't stick, I'm going to be devastated and I'm going to continue to blame myself the way that I have been in the past, you know, blaming myself for these things happening and saying, oh, it's just because I don't deserve to have a baby when that is not true. You know, if you, if you really want to be a parent and you really want to have children of your own, you, you cannot, and I seriously mean this, like you cannot allow other people to tell you if it's right or wrong for you to have children. Because like my previous doctor had said to me, he said it was really inappropriate for me to be worried about this stuff at such a young age. Excuse me, closing the door, making sure that the cats don't get out. Um, but he had said that being 19 years old and worried about my fertility was inappropriate. And I was like, no, no, it's not because I'm at a position in my life right now. I'm not in college. You know, I am in classes, my CDA classes, but I'm not in college and I want children. And I know that I've always wanted children. I have wanted children since I was a little girl. I used to have a crap ton of baby dolls and each one of them had their own name and I loved all of them and always wished that they were real babies for me to take care of. And so, yeah, at 19 years old, I was thinking about kids because I knew within the next five to six years, I wanted to have some of my own and that I am worthy of that choice and I am worthy of having those children of my own. Sorry, this is a difficult situation to try to try to do <laughs> when I'm carrying a cup of coffee in my purse and um, trying to find where to put my cup of coffee because it's too big for my cup holder that's in the front seat. So I have to scooch around and put it in the fr- cup holder that's in the back seat. And I've got a lot of trash in my car. If, if, if anybody that's listening knows how I am. I'm sure that you can uh, picture what my car looks like. It's really not that bad, though, um, in comparison to what it usually is. Um, But anyways, yes, I am driving, but I am not holding my phone. I am just, it's in my lap, and I'm just going to talk a little bit louder, and hopefully everything gets picked up on the recording, because if not, that would be really unfortunate. And excuse the squeaky car, wee. So... That's basically kind of my background um, with the PCOS is not only did I develop it at a pretty young age, but my mom did too. My mom still has it to this day. 
as far as we know, there is no cure for PCOS. There is no end all cure all for PCOS. So far, there are just treatments and treatment plans that are in place that we can go through to try to try to successfully have a baby naturally you know as naturally as you possibly can when your fertility is being assisted by medicine and doctors and sometimes as far as like in uterine injections or in vitro fertilization like all of those things are possibilities and options for women with PCOS and for couples who are trying to conceive even though it may be more difficult for them because of you know, unwanted circumstances like PCOS, endometriosis, uh, low sperm count. There are tons and tons and tons of things that doctors can do to help us and to help me, you know, and I say us because I'm kind of hope, like I said before, I'm really hoping that this podcast reaches somebody that really needs to hear this stuff that maybe you just got diagnosed with PCOS and you don't know what that means for you. Maybe you're really scared that you can't have children and you think you might have PCOS, but you're afraid to go to the doctor because you're afraid of hearing bad news. And I'm going to be honest with you. That was me. I felt that way. I thought, oh my God, if I go to the doctor, they're going to tell me that I'm never going to have kids and that my chances are absolutely zero and I'm just going to be heartbroken because I'm going to have to adopt. And not that saying adoption is a bad thing. It's just never something that I thought was going to be in my future plans. So like when I went to the doctor for the first time, I was petrified. I was absolutely terrified that they were going to give me the worst news of my life and basically say, oh, your body is a hostile environment and you'll never be able to have children on your own. But that was honestly just my anxiety disorder talking and telling me these things because let's be real. I was 19 when I saw my first doctor. I was 20 when I saw the right doctor. And luckily I knew my body well enough and I knew my mom's story well enough that I was able to say to my doctor, listen, this is what I am going through. This is what I need you to do in order to help me. And, you know, as long as you find the right doctor, them being able to do that should be a no-brainer. And it should be easy. So, I really hope that this episode, one, isn't too long and boring for some of you to listen to. But two, um, kind of helps shed a little bit more light on how this kind of came about, why I thought that I had it when I did, and, you know, all of those things. So, I'm actually at work now. It's 11.53. I left the house at 11.50, just so you know. Um, sorry, 11.54. It just changed. And I left my house at 11.50. So, if that tells you how close my work is, it's amazing. I could walk if I really, really wanted to. But I'm not walking with everything that's going on right now. There's there's just no way. Um, so I'm probably going to get in here and play with some kiddos and ha- try to have some fun today. Uh, that's basically our goal right now is to just keep the kids occupied while they're on their corona vacation. And trying to get their homework done. Which, it's ridiculous. They give second graders coding assignments. Yeah, you heard that right. Computer coding. 
Like, I was watching a little boy on Tuesday doing Minecraft coding as a homework assignment. And I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, I don't... What? When I was in second grade, I was still doing, like, basic addition and subtraction stuff. Like, what is this nonsense? This is... Wow. Crazy. Um, But I'm going to get in here, spend some time with these kids, and just kind of go about my day. There's my CEO, Howard, just walked past my car and waved at me. He is a wonderful person. I absolutely adore that man. He is great. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and stop the recording now, and I'm going to start the process of getting this second episode published. Woo! All right, so I'm going to kind of do what my dad does and kind of copy his little sign-off, but I just want to say that I love you guys. Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to each other. Try to stay safe out there. If you do need to go out anywhere, please make sure you protect yourself. Wash your hands. Wear gloves if you really want to. Wear a face mask. Anything that you need to do to protect yourself. You're not going to look silly. Just do it. Or, you know, just do the really, really smart thing and stay the fuck inside. Excuse my language, but stay the fuck inside. That's, that's really what we need to be doing right now. The few of us that are out working and doing stuff, we just need to keep doing what we're doing because we are contributing to the community, even though it doesn't feel like it right now. But stay inside. Wash your fucking hands. I'm not going to say that again, but wash them. Just do it, please. It's not that hard. There are tons and tons of ways that you can wash your hands and make it fun, okay? Just do it. Wash them. Um, make sure that if you have kids, you're keeping them inside and you're keeping them occupied. There are tons and tons of ideas on Pinterest and on Facebook that you can do with your kids right now, because I'm sure some of you are going absolutely crazy if you have kids at home that are out of school and you don't have anybody to watch them but you. So I get it. Just look up on Pinterest. There are lots of fun and really easy things you guys can do, but stay inside Love yourself, love each other, just, you know, no touching for right now. (laughs) All right, guys, have a really great day, and I'll talk to you soon.